Everything costs something. This is Opportunity Cost. Today's Opportunity Cost is a conversation with Brock Mogensen, a commercial real estate investor and syndicator with Smart Asset Capital, as well as the host of the Winning Wealth podcast. In this conversation, we discuss the commercial real estate investment process, as well as what it means to take part in a syndicated deal. We also dive into how knowledge is a form of wealth, And I go deeper into why the digital currency revolution that we're currently experiencing is not just about financial technology and is actually a massive psychological shift as to how we think about what money is. If you would like to support Opportunity Cost, all that we ask is that you like and subscribe to our content and maybe share it with a friend who will enjoy it as well. Without further ado, here is Brock Mogensen. Yeah, I usually put together like a pretty... I wouldn't say like super detailed, but I usually have some type of episode plan. I don't really for this one because I don't know too much about you other than we run in some of the same real estate circles. Everyone who I've met that knows you speaks very highly of you, which is, you know, good. High praise, definitely. Um, And I know that you're in the investment space, but Mm -hmm. nothing really outside of that. Can you tell me just a little bit about like who who is Brock Mogensen? And by the way, is it pronounced Mogensen? Yep. Okay. Who is Brock Mogensen? What do you do? Like just hit me with it. So, yeah, real estate investing, okay. um, specifically private equity syndication. So essentially what we do is we, you know, we go out, find a property. So I have two partners, Smart Asset Capital, our company. We'll go out there, find you know, property. We're primarily in the industrial warehouse space right now. And us three will do all the work to find it, to get the debt on it, underwrite it. And then we'll go out and find partners to come in alongside us and provide some of the equity. Put our own money in, they put some money in. We buy the property together. So syndication is kind of kind of the word for it. And sure. That's, that's what we do. Are you, and so are you doing that? You, you mentioned warehouses, so it's predominantly or exclusively commercial? All commercial. Okay. okay. And then are these partners that you're bringing in, are they mostly like people you've worked with? In, two questions, actually. Is it on a deal-by-deal basis, or is there like kind of a rolling pool of funds that you're pulling from? And then also, like, are these partners people that are consistently the same partners over and over? Or are you kind of like fundraising per syndication? How's that work? Deal by deal basis. Okay. Um, so each, each deal is its own raise. And then as far as the investors, so yeah, we have a lot of repeat investors that come in. Um, I think we have close to 100 investors in our deals now. So we get a lot of people that are in for every deal, right? Count me in for every deal. Uh, but we're always bringing new people in, right? Like someone that we talk to says, yeah, kind of explain how it works. I'd be interested in doing that. Great get a deal, send it over to them. They're interested. They're not interested, right? They, they come into the deal. So it's always, you know, growing. Investor pool's got to grow to support, continuing to grow as a business. How, how did you get involved in this? I mean, you're like a pretty young guy, obviously. I It seems like a big jump from, like I know a lot of other young real estate investors, but it's typically house hackers or people maybe who have like a couple doors of investment properties on the residential side. Like, how did you make that jump? Were you in real estate prior? Yeah, so maybe taking a step back is like how I got started. So, you know, really goes back to I was growing up and my dad owned two duplexes. Okay. Um, and I saw, you know, both my parents worked very blue collar jobs and I saw what simply owning four units could do to increase your lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. So growing up, kind of had that seated in my brain, buy a duplex when I, when I you know, get my first job. So get out of college, you know, I was working in a call center, making like no money at all, but was stashing everything I could to buy a duplex. That was the goal. Year or two later, I buy a duplex, did the house hack model, which I think is a great way to get started. Yeah, did right? you Living do it out. through FHA? FHA loan, yeah, yeah. so Smart three and a half percent down. I got into it for like 10 grand. Nice. Um, so I'm living in one side, renting out the other, and like instantly, you know, the first month, I had roommates, like rented out the upper unit. I think I made like 500 bucks that first month, and then I decided living for free, my mortgage was paid off, you know, paid down. Um, it all clicked, right? Like real estate is what I want to do from there. 
So from there, I spent a lot of time like researching different avenues to go in real estate. There's a lot of ways you can go, right? Wholesaling, flipping, you know, buying more duplexes and kind of experimenting different avenues, but ultimately found out about the syndication avenue, mm. which is, you know, partnering with other investors to go after big properties. And it clicked like, that's what I want to do. This is how I was going to build a business. So, you know, spent the next six months learning everything I could about that. But obviously the, you know, the big thing is I didn't have, you know, the net worth. I didn't have the capital. I didn't have the experience to right. go out and buy a $5 million property. Oh, so you kind of front ran where I was going. Cause I was going to ask, you know, that's, it's, it's one thing, like it's, it's one thing on paper to be like, okay, I'm going to learn how syndication works. I'm going to step mm-hmm. into this industry, but then it's like, okay, well, you're a young guy. Do you roll into a deal and go, Hey, I found this $10 million commercial space. I have five grand I can put down, but you know, yep. we're paying 25% on that. Like that's, that's really the part that I would love to hear about. Like, where does that come from? Because that's like the biggest barrier to entry I would imagine for a lot of people. Like if I tried for to sure. do this tomorrow, I, I like wouldn't have the capital to do it. For sure. Right? You need partners. Yeah. Um, so my approach was, you know, instead of, you know, waiting to, to do all that, right. I decided to learn one piece of the business, which for me was underwriting kind of how to find deals, underwrite these deals and go out and find partners that don't necessarily understand how syndication works, but they have the, you know, the connections, the experience, the support being able to do one of these deals. Sure. So that's what I did. Network. Knowledge is the money. Exactly. Yeah. Found the right partners. We partnered up and then, you know, the rest is kind of history. That's so smart, man. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities, not even just in real estate, but just in that type of thing where to your point, like you, you learned how to do it and you brought it to somebody who had the resources Mm -hmm. and didn't know how to do it, which there's a lot of people who kind of fit that mold. I mean, I, I talk a lot about, um, well, first of all, like really successful in my experience, I'd love to hear your opinion on this too. Like really successful entrepreneurs in general tend to really find their lane that they fit in and they become really good at that lane, but then they're not necessarily being really, um, efficient, like with their capital and investments mm-hmm. because they're so focused on their one lane that they're not looking outside of that. And I see this a lot with, um, my, my like friends and, and acquaintances, I like to call my blue collar millionaires. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people who are working um, construction, roofing companies, whatever it is, making money hand over fist. They're yeah. really successful. But then it's like, okay, well, how do they take that step to expand into another investment uh, like avenue or market? And so basically, and I'm, I'm kind of recapping this for people who might be listening to like think of a way to do this same thing. Like find something that you can become the expert on and bring it to somebody who has the resources and like make 100%. that like that sandwich basically right. So okay, that makes sense. I assumed it was probably something like that, yep. but um, wasn't sure. So it's it's awesome to hear. Can you talk a little bit to that process a little bit? Because now it's like okay, you know how to do this. You maybe found people that had money, but then it's like going from zero to one. You're going from no commercial properties to like now I am a partner in a commercial property. Exactly. It was a big jump, right? I think a lot of people get stuck there where, you know, I'm looking at it. I don't have the experience, right? I had no money in my bank account. Like I didn't have much value to bring besides I understood how it works and I was willing to put the work in. So I went to someone, right? He had a couple hundred units in his portfolio already, owned a property management company, a brokerage, right? I had all this stuff going in real estate already. And my value is, hey, I understand how this model works. Um, I'm going to do all the, you know, the, the work you probably don't want to do on, on this side of the deal, Yeah. but just come in, help raise some capital, put your name on the loan and kind of that, that's how it all really came to be is I just provided the value of, I'm going to do all the, you know, the bitch work for the most part on the sure. first deal yeah. and, uh, you know, kind of explain how all this works and we worked well together on that first deal and that kind of grew it from there. Was this somebody that you knew personally already? No. 
Oh, really? No, okay. I, I, so I met my first partner on Bigger Pockets, which anyone in real estate is a great platform. I've to be actually on. never heard of that. No, what's Bigger Pockets? Yeah. So it's like uh, Facebook for real estate. Oh, okay. Pretty much. So it's like a networking. That hasn't made it to the mortgage side yet, apparently. Yeah, but I'll, I'll check it out. It's a now. great platform. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah I've, I've I've done well on that platform. So it's, you know, I connected with my first business partner there, and he had this other buddy that ended up being the guy with you know all this experience. Sure. So kind of just accumulation of really networking, right, and telling people what you do all the time. This is like so refreshing to hear, actually, because like. Prior, we met for the first time today, which is actually, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to have more guests on that I yeah, meet yeah. for the first time in the episodes. But like, I've seen your social media stuff and you're great with content, by the way. Like, I, I do enjoy it. And it's it's hard, though, to discern sometimes between like, okay, is this dude somebody whose dad had $5 million yeah. and he <laughs> like let him put his name on a transaction to and now built a business? But like, yeah. is that where it came from? let's call that the Donald Trump model or yeah, not yep. to like poke fun, but whatever. <laughs> or is this like, Hey, this guy had this idea, found somebody to partner with and did it. So like, this yep. is actually really refreshing because a lot of pushback I hear from people um, who want to be entrepreneurs and are trying and like trying to figure it out. They don't have the resources, right? Like yeah. for every one entrepreneur I know that's truly started with effectively nothing, meaning like they didn't have a family member or like really close friend lining their pockets. I know like five that did. Yeah. And so like, it's so good to hear these stories where that's not the case, man. That's awesome. Makes it a lot easier, right? Like if you had an uncle that just writes a million dollar check, well, like, yeah. it makes and, it easier. But, and you and know what though? Like not to hate on that at right, all. Right. That's, yeah. that's my thing. Yeah. So it's not, I'm not saying this to say that there's anything wrong with that because mm -hmm. if I had that uncle in my life, you better believe I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. damn right. I'd be doing <laughs> exactly, that. Like yeah. take advantage of what you have for yeah. sure. But I love the stories where like people don't have that and then they still figure it out anyway, yep. because it, there's a lot of most people don't have that. And so like it can be done though, which is, 100%. which is super cool. Like that's awesome, man. How, uh, what year was that where you really made that jump? Uh, 2018. 2018? Yeah, 2019 around that area. Yeah. Okay. So that, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. So like from a market perspective, I mean, you guys have, well, actually, I'd, I'd love to ask. I know on the residential side, like anything you would have bought would have blown up between now and then. Has that been the case in commercial with COVID and everything? I don't yeah. know as much. Yeah, I much, think, you yeah. know, even in 2019, right? Like, I think if you, whatever you bought there, there's been appreciation since then. Sure. Um, so I think, yeah, the deals we bought, you know, 2019, 2020, even during COVID, right? We scooped up some deals, right? In that kind of period of craziness. So I think, you know, all those deals saw a lot of natural appreciation. Right now, it's tough, obviously, where the yeah. market's at, but. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of appreciation. Well, and it sounds like, too, you said warehouses. Is it exclusively, like, industrial and warehouses that you guys are buying? Correct. Okay. Not, not, well, not exclusively. We still look at other deals as well. Like, we've done most asset classes. We've done apartments, retail, you know, self-storage. Sure. But the past couple of deals we've done and where our shift is going is in the industrial Yeah, space. and that's what I was going to ask is, like, mm -hmm. what's coming next? Because my, my opinion, a very unprofessional opinion, being is that I don't own any commercial real estate – but my thought would be that, like, coming off of COVID, basically avoiding anything that can be turned into a work from home, right? So, like, mm -hmm. it, an office space, probably not an awesome commercial investment right now. An industrial company where they have to perform in person every single day, strong. You can't, you can't build a machine from home, right? Like, anything heavy machine or whatever. So, like, that's where my brain automatically goes. It's like, okay, industrials make a ton of sense. Um, retail makes a ton of sense yeah. as long as they don't have like a crazy online presence. But I guess you're not the business, you're the facility. So, right? I like service so, like, industries, retail. Service industry, yeah. And yeah, I, I just talk about it. I want to hear your yeah. opinion and I'll, I'll shut up. Well, so it's funny you bring up office in the location we're sitting at recording this podcast. So we bought an office building 
half a mile down the road, right on Blue Mound. Yeah. Those, those big, ugly, uh, like, they got, like, the rock walls. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. We yeah. bought those uh, two months before COVID hit. Okay. Um, bought those. The first couple months were great. Numbers are working well. Um, COVID hits, right? I think, like, 50% of our tenants move out over the next six months. Yeah. So we're like, shit, this isn't good. And then the parking garage decides to kind of start decaying, learning a lesson in your inspection. There's a parking garage. Get a structural engineer to look at it. Sure. It's a learning lesson. <laughs> but so we, Probably that's like one. shit. Uh, to replace the parking garage, it costs more than what the building's worth. Oh, wow. So instantly, like, what are we going to do? Would right? it have to be like a full, like, gut and replacement? Full basically? new parking garage. Uh, million okay. dollars to do. Um, so we're like, tenants are moving out. We're already kind of in the negative. What do we do? We decide, let's look at locations. Great, right? We're right on Blue Mountain Road here in Wauwatosa. And it's like, Let's look at knocking down these buildings yeah. um, and building new apartments. Do some locations new. great. Sure. So, but to do that, we had to buy the other office building next door, which is equally as shitty as this one. So, but that was the play. We had to own the whole block to build apartments. Dang. So we buy that building next door with the hope that we were going to get approvals from the city and everything. Um, fast forward. So that was like a year and a half ago. Fast forward to today, and I don't want to go fully in it because it's not 100% approved yet. But yeah, like but we're that's 99% the plan as of now. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude, that's cameras. awesome. And I've I've heard of. Um, so I, I used to live in New York, and I'm still, like, a lot of my ties are still out there. I've heard rumors that a lot of those office buildings are going to be going that direction as well. Like, they won't do a full demo if it's, like, a high-rise, but yeah. they can do a full gut and turn them into living units because people aren't going back to work, man. I no. saw a thing today that was um, – it was talking about the Wall Street banks, and it was saying – Oh, I think it was saying that only 20% of workers at the banks are actually going in five days a week and they've been making yeah. pushes to do it, but people are, you can't undo that, you know, like for sure. this, this like whole hybrid environment that was created, you literally can't undo it because there's always going to be somebody that's like, well, we'll allow you to work hybrid and they're, everyone's going to go over there, you and know, take so, that choice. Yep. yeah. So I just think like commercial, I would imagine has to have just like changed permanently. Um, I mean, the building we're sitting in is like half rented. Yeah, I think notice that. Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, like, there's at least one unit and maybe a second that like recently was filled. But for a while, I've been yeah. around here for this is like my second full year now. That's like new. It was like yeah. mostly empty. So I don't. I actually don't know who owns this building. And shout out you guys, I guess. Yeah. But um, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, th- th- it's got to be a problem. I think there's still a need for like office space, right? I think. You get you get the you know being being in person right like I think you get more you know you get more relationships right by being in person. There's a benefit to having office, but I also think the hybrid model, like you said, is not just is, is not going away right. Like people want to work from home a certain amount of days. Yeah, and I think old office space that's just like shitty, no amenities. I don't think there's a need for that anymore. Like no. nice office downtown with amenities. Like I think there's still a world for that. Or have you seen um, that that one space in Tosa? I think it's called Expansive. I was just there this morning actually meeting with somebody where it's like it's like a co-working space. Like mm-hmm. they rent offices there, but it's kind of like fluid. Like you can kind of be in and out and there's other people renting in and out. Yeah. I think that is like a pretty – I agree. Solid model. Unless if you're like, I mean, look, if you're like a mega business, if you're JP Morgan and you're going to buy the building, like, fine, that's it's different. But now you actually own the asset, right? So it's like, it's a little bit different. Um, What else are you into, man? So are you like into just investing broadly? Uh, Mostly all real estate. Like, I think like, you know, 85% of my portfolio is in real estate. I Every time I try dabbling in stocks or crypto, I feel like I just get, you know, I buy it at the wrong time. So it's like a little bit of that stuff. But, you know, mostly I'm just all in on 
investing in what I know and what I know is real estate. Sure. Well, and that's, I mean, really like every financial advisor ever is going to, well, every financial advisor ever is going to say like, let me manage your money. Yeah. But outside <laughs> of that, they're going to say like, buy what you know, which is certainly, certainly the case. Um, you know, not that you can't make money doing other things, but mm. you know, yeah, I am, um, I'm heavy uh, into digital assets actually. And okay. uh, yeah, and I actually like have a project thing totally outside of this in that space. Um, trying to remember, Jake, what percentage of my portfolio is like like my net worth is in crypto and i i, I would bet like to know that oh i i bet it's 70 percent. really wow. it's a lot i bet it's did you get like it you got in at the right time uh, like yeah ago? so yeah. i've i've been involved in that space okay i shouldn't say involved i have known about that space extensively since like 2015 oh nice um okay, you're good, and then. yeah so what what's funny about it like i joke around with people about this a lot i have no excuse to like not be retired other than like yeah. actually making bad calls <laughs> or just not not having the resources available that I needed. Like for example, yeah. um, the stuff that I'm mostly involved in is mostly Ethereum based product mm-hmm. uh, projects. And the first Ethereum I bought, I think I bought it. It was forty two dollars, maybe forty one dollars. Which, yeah. but at the time, it's not like I was spending ten grand doing that. Like had yeah. I done it, things yeah. would look different. Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of right place, right time. Um, where I went to school in New York, they it was one of the first schools that had a like blockchain like thing. That's like cool. they had it was called Cornell Blockchain. You could go after class, and um, there was a professor who ended up founding this project called Avalanche that got pretty big. Oh, but yeah. but he would teach you like this is the application of it, and then they had a second meeting that was like this is the tech behind it. I was dumb. I only went to the application meetings because I was like, well, I just want to know like what this is going to do. I don't need to know yeah. how it works. I really should have learned how it worked because a lot of those people are like loaded right now and oh, make bet. crazy yeah. You got in early decisions. on that stuff, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been like around that space since 2015. And then in 17 and 18 is when a couple buddies of mine and I really like branched off and started like doing it as more of a business venture and, yeah. and getting involved in different projects and stuff. Um but yeah, for me now, it's more of like a passion thing. Like I, I think the tech is awesome. I think that as time goes on, we're really going to be moving away from like national government currencies in general. Yeah. Um, or okay, I shouldn't say that. I think the form in which our money is valued is going to change. And so, do you want me to like get into this? Because I'll, I'll, I'll no. get into it. Okay. It, it is interesting to me. And it's something that I don't know a ton about. I agree. There's gonna be a shift, but it's like I just I don't know enough about it to get so, the front end of it. So, like, let's just ignore the technology piece for a second. Mm-hmm. The one of the big narratives behind this is we have like our vernacular and the way we speak has kind of lost the differentiation between cash and money. So, like. When we were on the gold standard, money was technically the gold. The dollar was technically cash, which is a paper representation of the money. Like the value is actually the hard asset. The cash is just representing the hard asset that's backing it, right? And so when we officially went off of that, every single dollar being printed, and I'm sure you've heard this before, is not really backed by any tangible asset other than, like, the full faith of the U.S. government and military, which, by the way, like, is not something to balk at. You know, it's, yeah. it's very powerful. But as far as intrinsic value, there is no asset backing to it anymore. And that's fine and dandy when you're, like, the superpower of the world and nobody can really step on your toes, particularly with oil when, and now I'm getting a little off the rails, but, like, up until recently, all oil transactions were done priced in U.S. dollars. So even if, like, China was buying oil from Saudi Arabia, they were pricing it in USD. Mm-hmm. That's not 
necessarily the case anymore. And there's a lot of people who um, believe that OPEC and OPEC plus are like signing deals under the table to kind of push the dollar out and allow other people's currencies to come in. And as that happens, it makes literally it makes the dollar weaker on a global stage. But also it kind of highlights the fact that the U.S. can't just say like, oh, well, we're going to do whatever we want with our monetary policy now, because if it's backed by the faith of the government and the military, but now we're not the biggest power in the world economically, that backing becomes less, right? So so the problem that I think is going to be solved is we need something new that is going to represent the money, not yeah. the cash. So when people are like, oh, well, am I going to own Bitcoin and buy coffee with Bitcoin every day? No, you're not. Yeah. But you might buy coffee with cash that's backed by Bitcoin yeah. and backed by Ethereum and backed by other digital assets that okay. do stuff. Now, like Bitcoin doesn't do anything other than store value. So like it's scarce as 21 million ever. That number is not going to actually get hit until I think that it's like the year 2140, the way that the code breaks out. Yeah. Okay. So like it's perfectly scarce. You can't make more of it, which means that every Every dollar of every national currency that gets printed inherently makes it more valuable, which is why, like, some people think that you're going to get these crazy valuations that, like, yeah. a Bitcoin's going to be worth a million dollars. Now, do I think that's true? I don't know. Yeah. But that or something like it acting as the money, the gold, the reserve asset, I think that that is not only, like, might happen, I think it is absolutely going to happen. The question is just what is that going Which to be? One? Yeah. And that's what, where I get caught who, up with Who's this? the yeah. winner in this? And like Bitcoin's the e- Occam's razor. Are you familiar with like the concept of Occam's razor? It's I've basically it, but... um, the most straightforward answer is likely the answer essentially. Yeah. yeah. So Occam's razor, I guess would say that Bitcoin is clearly the answer. Yeah. I, I personally don't believe that for a multitude of reasons that are like more on the tech side of um, it's becoming it might be becoming like unsustainable to mine Bitcoin if a couple <laughs> things don't change. Um, but anyway, that's like my biggest thesis behind digital assets. It's not like you're going to buy this NFT monkey art and make $50 million. Like it's like, yeah. no, I think that like national currencies are getting debased and something else is going to have to step in to be like the underlying monetary value that we're basing dollars off of. Yeah. And it has to be this. I don't see anything else that it could possibly be. This is the only verifiable thing in the world. It is the most verifi- verifiable thing that exists, which is crazy. I, I, I agree. I think there's like, and I've been just, you know, slowly kind of chipping away buying more Bitcoin and ETH, but it's also like I just don't fully understand how it works, but sure. I, know it's, I know it's the future. Yeah. On a more micro level, right, tying it back to real estate, like yeah, what yeah. do you think like crypto, NFTs, like where do you think that's going to, like oh, specifically in transactions with yeah. real estate? So have you... So there, there actually have been like crypto real estate transactions, and and the way that they've been done right now, um, so this is pretty crazy. This happened in twenty, what year are we? Twenty twenty three. So it's twenty twenty one. This guy, he basically, he basically. So are you familiar with the concept of an NFT? So yeah. basically, you're you're proving that something is the only copy Correct. or the original copy. It doesn't necessarily yep. have to be the only copy. It's a unique copy, right? Yep. So what this guy did is. He created an LLC that owned this apartment in Kiev. This was before the war. Mm-hmm. Um, he created an NFT. Oh, sorry. He created an LLC that owned this apartment, and then he created an NFT of the purchase of the LLC like docs. Yep. So basically, if you own this NFT, you own this LLC, which oh, means you own the property, yeah. right? Yep. So 
he put the property up, he put the property up for auction, which is effectively putting the LLC up for auction because yeah. they're one and the same. Like the LLC didn't do anything else. It, yeah. it was the purpose for holding this property. And so he put it up for sale on an open market. It ended up getting bought by some guy in the U.S. And the transaction settled in like nine seconds. Because yeah. as basically as quickly as the transaction could settle, meaning like in this case, um, I think they use DAI, which is a decentralized stable currency that's backed by Ethereum. I think that's how they did it. But um, as soon as that hit the seller's wallet and then the NFT transferred to the buyer's wallet, on paper, that buyer owns that property. And you don't need to do any type of title work because, like, it's all on chain. So, like, yep. you wouldn't need a title company. And that's why I it's, think there's, like, there's something that has to happen, right? Because it's, like, yeah, you still have to negotiate the price in terms of deal like that. I don't sure. think that's going to change. But, like, when it comes to, like, we're going through right now. We're closing a deal next week. And it's, like, it's a week and a half long process at least going with title. You got to yeah. sign this document. Then you got to go in person and sign 500 pages. And all that, I feel like it could just be, like you said, it's, yeah, like, it's all on chain. I can yep. prove every single, in this case, address who's ever owned that property. Yep. But if you know who owned that address, it's the same thing. Like, you can't fake you can't fake that. Like, that's, yep. that's the whole point. The other thing is, and this is something I think you'll be really interested in, is the syndication of real estate assets using digital assets. Yep. So... Like, are you, have you heard of the concept of like tokenizing something? Yeah. It's basically like, it's syndicating. It's basically yeah. like taking something and saying, okay, hey, or, or securitizing it. It's like saying, hey, here's a house that's worth um, $100,000. I will sell 10 shares of it for 10 grand each. Yep. Do you want to buy one? So you're a 10% minority partner in the house. Well, if that can be done on chain, Anybody in the world yeah. could buy that one one of ten token to represent ownership in that house, and like for you as the majority owner, what does it matter? Like, yeah. why do you care if some dude in Germany doesn't owns matter. that ten yeah. percent? It wasn't. What does it matter to you? It doesn't. Yeah. You're getting liquidity, and they're getting part of the asset. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, I think that's coming down the line. Or think about this. Like, what if I can use my own home as collateral to borrow, like like basically create a home equity line yep. without using a bank? Because I could basically put, um, let's say, you know, my my home is worth five hundred grand. I want fifty grand for expansion of my kitchen, whatever. Uh -huh. So I go, okay, I'll tokenize that fifty uh, or ten percent of my home, put it on the open market. Someone buys it from me. Now I just got fifty k of liquidity of my house. Yeah. And yeah, I gave up some equity to do it, but like. I tapped Cash. into my own yeah. liquidity without selling yeah. it. Yeah. Or somebody lent me the money and I put up my equity in, in the form of tokenization. I put up my equity on the line. So yeah. like if I don't pay them back, well, then they'll just take the equity in the same way that a bank would. But yeah. it doesn't have to be a bank. It could yeah. be you. The you know? person, yeah. Like yeah. that's going to change a lot of shit. The question yeah. is like how do we make that jump? Like how do you take that step from A to, a to B? Like how do you take a property – tokenize it and like create that ecosystem there's so much the real estate industry is it, so like old school too and it's like there's well, so yeah. much innovation where it's like if someone that's knows about how this all works i'm like there's so many opportunities to yeah well and that's it. part of the reason i follow it so close like when that happens i want to be there you yeah. know and it's, it's definitely not there yet and yeah. and i think there's going to be speed bumps along the way especially from a regulatory perspective yeah. because like how do you regulate that? I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's People a, writing it's, the laws are old school too. So it's, yeah, it takes well, some time. Like oh man, said. the misunderstanding of how any of this works. Have you seen any of these like Congress depositions? <laughs> oh, yeah, or, just, yeah. Have you seen the one from a couple years ago even where they were interviewing Mark Zuckerberg yeah. and the guy's like, what did he say? He was like, can you, can you look up the exact quote, Jake? It was something like, does Facebook, it was something about like Facebook owning Google 
or like it was some connection between the two. Whose quote is it? Is it? Uh, just look up like Congress quote on Facebook. I remember seeing it was, that. Yeah, it was something crazy. It was. Like funny, though, that, yeah. it just like the light went on where I was like, oh my god, this guy actually has no idea how the internet. And they're works. the ones approving these laws. Yeah, and so they make like, all the decisions until know, someone like man. you is like sitting in that chair. It's like. I don't know. Is that how long it's going to take for it to be well, free? I, I can promise you I will never be sitting in that chair. Yeah. I have no... <laughs> someone with your knowledge and understands yeah, how yeah. it works, right? Like, yeah. I, I just think that, uh, unfortunately, like, a lot of the people... And By the way, like, I'm not saying I should be in politics, but a lot of the people who maybe should be don't yeah. want to be. Because, oh, sure. like, why Why would you want to leave the private sector, dude? You yeah, can make yeah, money and just, like, do exactly. whatever you want. Ugh. I, I would never understand. It feels like um, the people who want to be the president... Like shouldn't be the president. <laughs> like yeah. it should be some dude who like doesn't want to do it, but is really or Forced dude to do or it. woman. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, woman yeah. Um, who like doesn't want to do it, and it's yeah. like, no, you're gonna be really great. Honestly, like, yeah, it's about should be probably. That'd be so funny. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Did you find it? I don't know. Not really. <clears throat> I just found a bunch of trash quotes from. What are yeah? What are? Can you just read off some of the dumb ones? Yeah. I'm just curious. Guys, remember this being really, really stupid. I remember seeing that. Yeah. He's just sitting there. Well, these are mostly like. I think we're gonna look. I think we're gonna look back on this 20 years from now, and all of us are gonna be like, "What the hell are we thinking?" Who said that? I don't know. Maybe someone from Congress. Oh, U- okay. U.S. Senator Mark Edward or U.S. Senator Edward Markey from Massachusetts. Your Facebook time of invading your privacy. This is mostly over privacy. I think it's talking about like. Okay. I don't know. I just remember there was a specific quote where it was like something like, does does Facebook own the Google or like does it use (laughs) the Google? And he referred to it as like the Google and he was like, well, no, we're like, we're two two different entities entities (laughs) and like, I guess somebody could like find Facebook using Google, but Yeah. um, yeah, that whole thing's nuts, man. The, everything about our current political just like landscape is so just like, We're living through some some pretty big history right now, for sure. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, like, I don't know. Okay, here's Jake. Can you look up the average age of U.S. Congress today and then the average age of the U.S. Senate today? <laughs> yeah. Because I just want to guess. What do, what do you think it is? Like, for what do you think Congress is? 68. 68, okay. I Yeah, I think you're probably about spot on. I'm going to go a little under. I'll take the under on that. I think it's probably, like, 62. So, for Congress, <clears throat> it's 58.4. Okay. And then for senators... What do you, what do you think? I think probably about the same. A little older. Yeah, I think Senator's absolutely. gonna be a little older, like yeah. sixty-five. Yeah, sixty-four, sixty-four point three. Both. Sixty-four. Yeah, yeah. dude, yeah. that's so. So think about that. Like, and okay, fifty-eight is not by any means like beyond the ability to like. Uh, let me just take a step back. What I'm trying to get at here is. We have, like, people making decisions for things who, one, don't understand the things that they're making decisions on, and then, two, are not going to be impacted by the decisions that they're making. I mean, like, was it the Supreme Court that the average is, like, 80? Look up that one, because I know it's a crazy number. And it's, like, think about how much turnover we're going to have. Like, if if all of these senators are in their mid-60s right now, that means that in, like, 10 years, what, we're going to have all turnover? You know, like, that's so crazy. Um, it is one, crazy to think Supreme about. Supreme Court's only 53. Oh, wow. I'm way off on this. Everyone's going to listen to this and be like, this guy's an ageist. <laughs> <laughs> I think the oldest might be president, honestly. 
Well, well yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. dude, yeah. We, ex- we exclusively elect 80-year-old white guys. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, like, like uh, for some reason, we can't get past the uh, that, which is just unbelievable. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very, like, non-politically aligned. Like, yeah. I just think that there's just so much shit on, like, every single side. For there's, sure. like, issues and things I'm passionate about, but as far as, like, aligning with specific groups... Specific party, yeah. It's yeah. just, like, I'm so disenfranchised from it, yeah, yeah. and... Um, the age thing, though, like, I mean, do you agree with that? Like, if if we have an 18 age to vote, maybe we should, like, shave 18 years off the other end and be like, hey, this should affect you before you make a decision on it. I don't know. That's I, I agree. I think it's, like, to understand what's going on in the current environment with, like, tech and everything we're talking about here is, like, you need to understand how someone that can, like, barely knows how to send an email, right? Like, yeah. how are they supposed to make decisions on, like, tech and these, like, very complicated oh, subjects? So much has changed. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, how, how old's Biden? Biden's 78, I think. I think so, yeah. So if he's 78... Yeah, he's 80. Okay, he's 80. Yeah. So in 2023, the president is 80 years old. He was born in 1943, right? Yeah. So... <laughs> when he was 25, or 20, sorry, I don't know why I picked 25. When he was 27, which is how old I am right now, that was 1970, which means that somebody who was 80 when he was my age right now was born in 1890, <laughs> which means that, like, how, like, that person's mom and dad was probably in, like, 20 when they had them, which means that that person's parents <laughs> were born five years after the Emancipation Proclamation. <laughs> like, dude, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, such a different mindset. When you really right. think about yeah. that, and it's yeah. like, Biden was alive at the same time that somebody's grandparent was around for the Civil War, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. Like, what? What it's are we crazy, doing? Man. Oh, it just blows my mind. And, like, then when you, like, forecast that looking forward, I'm just like, holy smokes, dude. It, like totally blows my something mind something needs to change for sure i, yeah, agree. I don't I know don't what even, it is but, by the way i don't yeah. even know what it is yeah, like i'm not gonna sit here and be like i can fix the country hell yeah. no i just said i don't want to be a politician like yeah. you know private sector is the way to go like yeah. you guys do what you want but like something's gotta change i, I agree. mean it is like i agree i just i don't know we'll see what it is man um i i love looking into that type of thing of like have you ever looked at those, like, uh, things that happen, like, on a way different timeline than you think they did? For example, yeah. like, Picasso died in, like, 1984 or something like that. Yeah, and you think it's, like, 100 and, years before that. Yeah, yeah. can you fact-check me? I'm having you fact-check me a lot today because <laughs> yeah. I'm throwing out a lot of n- numbers and dates. That's a good date to know. But, um, yeah, like, what, what year? <laughs> Wait, this is... Wasn't what? Picasso, like... What's his first name? Pablo. Pablo. Pablo Picasso? You don't know who Pablo Picasso is? <laughs> Isn't he a... I'm literally going to title the episode, Jake Doesn't Know Who Pablo Picasso Is. Is it a painter? Yeah. No, yes. he died in 73? 73. Okay. Yes. Close. But wouldn't wow. you... I if thought I, if I would have asked you, yeah, you would have like said 1430. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I thought he was the 1800s for sure. Dude, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, that's there's why so I'm so confused. Like yeah. yeah. What the heck? I heard a crazy one the other day, too, that was, um, I love, um, like... I don't know, conspiracy stuff's not the right word, but just, like, weird, like, history there, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I heard one about Egypt, too, and it was something like Cleopatra lived, she was, like, born closer to today than she was to the time the pyramids were built by a factor of, like, three or four. Like, wow. like something like that. Like, she was born only a couple thousand years ago today, but the pyramids were built, like, 
5,000 years before that. And I was like, that's really crazy to think about. I was like, by the way, the dynastic Egyptians did not build the pyramids. Can we just like that? Didn't, that didn't happen. <laughs> You're probably right. Enough. It just didn't happen. Like, do you ever think about this? Do you ever talk about the pyramids? No, no. See, I feel like I don't go that deep into this. Maybe I should. You should. I, I often don't. Yeah. When you're not buying commercial real estate, I need you, Brock, to start researching start watching these the YouTube pyramids. videos. Yeah. Yes, to start getting in these <laughs> rabbit holes because there is such such crazy stuff out there. Like, first of all, just it's funny. So, um, we, I, I just got married recently. We were in Mexico, oh, actually. My wife. Thank you. Um. And my one buddy is much smarter than I am. And he is like, um, he studied like applied physics and engineering in college. This guy's yeah. like galaxy brain. And we got in like a mini debate about this because I was like, his name's Brian. I was like, Brian, like, come on. They didn't make the pyramids. Yeah. And he was like, listen, if I had, if I had 2000 years and like unlimited manpower and they had to do everything I said, I could build the pyramids. And yeah. I was like, you couldn't build the pyramids. <laughs> I just think it's so, like, when you really dive into this and you see, like, how perfect they are and also yeah. where the stones came from that they used, because they used limestone, they came from, like, hundreds of miles away from quarries that they would have no way of even getting the stones to where they laid them. And did you know that there's no hieroglyphs in the pyramid? There's, like, no right. hieroglyphs inside of them. Why would Why would the people who are famous for doing, like, rock artwork be like hey we're gonna build the most impressive thing of all time but we're not, not gonna, gonna ink it up yeah. like come on there's yeah. no way i don't know that's i i want to know the answer to that though so it's cr- there's so many like i feel like every like major event in history there's like a reason to think it didn't happen right? oh yeah so i always like yeah I'm, do you have any that you're like really into no honestly like i feel like i've never like really like looked into them right so like cause you, you hear all like the both sides right and they're both very compelling arguments yeah and I feel like I'm more so just like, I don't know. I, you ever heard I, the I don't Titanic want to go down the rabbit hole. Have you ever heard the uh, That's crazy. The Titanic no. one is crazy. You know the Titanic yeah. one? No. Yeah. So, Who was the owner? Um, Who's the guy? Well, it was, it, it, was, um, it was financed by either, I want to say J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley. It was yeah, one of the major JP, yeah. banks at uh-huh. J.P. Morgan, yeah. yeah. And so, so the conspiracy behind this is that, and this is, it is factual that there were two ships that they built simultaneously, and one of them was called the Titanic, and one of them was called, I should know this, but something else. And the conspiracy was that the the second one that was built, so, um, so, so you have, like, the Titanic, and you have this other ship. The one that was originally the other ship apparently had some issue with the way that they built it, and so the conspiracy yeah. is that they swapped the names, and they sent out the Titanic knowing that it was going to sink for insurance money because the ships are insured. So if you know that it's going to go down because you have some type of malfunction or, or like mishap with the build, you'll get paid out by the insurer. Yeah. And like back then in the 20s, 1917, 24, man, I'm really off. I usually am pretty good with dates, but today yeah, I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be close. I think it was like <laughs> 24 or 17. When it sank? Yeah. 12. Oh, okay, 1912. Did they so get like, the insurance payday? Yeah, can you look that up? I I'll think look, they did. Yeah. I think so, and I yeah. think that's where, like, the conspiracy comes in is people think that it was basically, like, the Titanic that sank wasn't the Titanic, and yeah. it, it, it was a real ship that people were on, but it was, like, known to have had problems before they sent it out to the voyage, which, Damn. again, like, 1912, it's a lot easier to get away with stuff back oh, yeah, then. Nowadays, yeah. Like, can. we can't get away with anything. Yeah, like, yeah. How, people can't... 
it actually, I'm like impressed when people get away with stuff now. Yeah. When someone like robs a bank and gets away with it. I was going to say, like, could you imagine like, like actually doing that and getting away with it? Like, how? I don't know. People still try. <laughs> they still though, try. Yeah. Which cracks me up, man. Like, there's, oh man, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, the, mm. Like, the fact, uh, do you find the insurance? Well, like, I don't, <clears throat> I didn't find that, but this, this is from routers. It says, it's a corrected fact check that J.P. Morgan did not sink the Titanic to push forward plans for the U.S. Federal Reserve. So there's a whole other angle. Oh, there's another conspiracy? On, okay. On the Federal Reserve and what that might yeah. play into. Uh, you've heard this one before, though, right? I've, I've, I'm not, I've heard of the insurance yeah, thing. I'm not yeah, saying uh, I believe it, but I'm just saying that this is a thing. I, it's like the oldest people, tale ever. Like, yeah, this oh, is, let's sell for the insurance. Let's burn our house down for the insurance yeah. money. Yeah, <laughs> this is definitely a thing that people believe, money. though. Yeah, and, like, no. I don't know, man. Icebergs are pretty big. The dude drove right into it. Like, well, this yeah. is another one that says that the Titan or this Titanic conspiracy theory theory says that the ship never sank. Oh, which it I'm definitely pretty, sank. People, well, maybe the Titanic right, didn't the, sink. Right, and that's, which, that's, or the that's idea. probably it. The yeah, idea yeah, is that the they, that wasn't the Titanic. Uh-huh. That was a different it's boat the, that yeah, they yeah. swapped. It's, and they, I yeah. said, is it called the or is it called the like Britannic or something, something like that? No, it was something um, Britannica. Oh something yeah, like, I think yeah, that something like that. Yeah, I don't yeah know. I something, something like that. Earlier, yeah. Um, yeah, I have heard of that one before, and it is kind of interesting. Man, so you're all business, huh? All the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to, I like to have fun, have hobbies and stuff. Yeah, what do you do? Uh, I like to golf a lot. Oh, okay, nice. Golf, boating. Um, do you own a boat? Weather. I used to. Sold it's, it a few years ago. A good I need, I need to, yeah, I've I, always heard just like half friends that have a boat. You know, that's yeah. You know what boat stands for, right? No. Bust out another thousand. Bust out another thousand. <laughs> yeah, shit's always breaking. One. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I like being out in the water and stuff. But, you know, golfing for sure is one of the big nice. ones. Nice. That's cool. Do you golf for business? Like, do you use it as kind of like a networking it's tool? A great, it's a great tool for business for sure. I think, yeah. you know, most people in real estate have found golf and it's like, okay. Dude, they really do. Yeah. I don't. Like, you don't? I mean, oh, I, man, you okay, pick so it up. I, I have golfed. When I was growing up, I played in like a children's golf league. Like, like I yeah. can golf and I'm not, I'm not good, but like, I also won't ruin your day. You know, yeah, you're like in that sweet spot. Um, but I don't even like own my own clubs anymore. I get out like once, so yeah. maybe twice a year. I just like, I don't know. I can't get the itch. You know, most of my friends they do yeah. it and they just love it. Like, like most people I know around our age, if they could golf every day, they would. Yeah. You know, it's it, it definitely is. You gotta like a lot. It's the hard sports to get into. I feel like compared to other sports where it's like yeah. it takes a lot of time. And, it's like, also you expensive. Suck for a long time. Yeah, you it's suck expensive. forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Which yeah, like I, it's. I don't know. It's also like some people get super frustrated. I don't even necessarily get mad. I just kind of like, what am it's I doing? Out of it. Like, yeah, yeah like yeah. I'll jump in the car. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, no, that's cool though. It's uh, it's definitely a good like tool for networking. It's also something you can do forever, which is nice. Exactly. Like, it's one of the few sports you can play till you're, you know, till you're ninety. Oh yeah, I have some friends who still do like intramural basketball and stuff, and I'm like, dude, you're gonna like blow out exactly everything in that the next like you have like it's yeah. literal ticking time clock sure. and like yeah. that's gonna be it so no it's a great great sport for like you know you go out you go out in the course four hour round right you really yeah. get to know someone more than like you know a 45 minute coffee meeting right like oh you totally spend four hours with someone you're gonna get to know them better and that you know i've done multiple deals out on the golf course just from building that relationship that's translated into, you know, yeah can things. you can you actually talk a little bit too like um like, like the deal sourcing process. Like, yeah. I think for a lot of people, the hardest part, like I know in my space and uh, in my space, in, in like our industry and then also in like realtors and other people who have books of business, getting the business is often the hardest part. What what are your approaches for that? For sure. For finding deals, I mean, mostly through brokers. Okay. Um, like we've done deals, you know, through direct owner, right? And those sort of things. But I think 
at the end of the day, brokers are the one that their full-time job is to connect sellers with buyers. Sure. So, you know, you can try to circumnavigate that and we have, right, you know, we, we look at all angles for finding deals. But to me, the time is best spent building relationships with brokers. Yeah. And working that angle and really having solid relationships with several brokers that are going to bring you their deal first. Sure. And, you know, by putting more time into that, you see more deals. And that's kind of been our approach for finding deals. Are you are you finding the, the assets, properties first and then fundraising the capital? Or are you having, like, the capital backstopped before you even find the property? Find the deal first, okay. then, then bring the capital in. We have, we have a lot of people commit to capital before, like, say, hey, yeah, if you find that deal, I'm in. Sure. Um, but we can't necessarily have money coming into the bank account until the property is identified. That would be what Got you're it. saying is a fund model. Yeah. Where we could go out. Which and is like MLG, raise. right? Correct. That's what they do. They like Correct. fundraise a fund and then go purchase assets. And then deploy yeah. that into 20 different properties. Do you guys have any aspirations to do that? I guess, is, is that like a further developed version of what you guys are doing? Correct. Okay. That That is the goal. I think yeah. we'll transition to that model within the next year or so. Nice. But the it's a little bit different because I'm going to you and saying, instead of saying, hey, Here's the deal. You want to invest 50K? You look at the deal. Yeah, I like that deal. Here's 50K. Yeah. We're going to them and saying. As opposed to give me, you know, 200 grand and trust that I'll spend it wisely. Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. So, no, that's interesting. And I guess not all that different. I My background prior to real estate was in the hedge fund space. It was in yeah. the private debt space, but like private debt funds. And so it was that same model mm-hmm. of basically, hey, we're going to raise capital for people who want to buy. Um, initially, I was working for a group that did broadly syndicated loans and then yeah direct lending but but basically same concept like hey we know how to manage money like uh give us capital for this fund and we'll you know pump out x amount of returns hopefully yeah um yeah no that's awesome and you said within like a year to two years is kind of the timeline realistically to do that that's the goal as you build our track record right like we have a decent track record now and you got to have that, right? You got to have the trust right. to be able to go out to kind of blindly raise capital, pretty much. Are you allowed to share, like, how what what is your assets under management right now, as far as like? Yeah, we're at twenty five million right okay. now. Okay, cool, yeah. nice. And we got there in twenty eighteen. I mean, that's great growth. Twenty nineteen was our first deal. So, okay, yeah, and we've exited a few properties in between that. So it's, um, yeah, it's kind of where we're at right now. How big's the team? Uh, we got three of us. Oh, that's it. Nice. Yeah. Now yeah. we're talking. I'm yeah. all about lean. I'm it's all lean. about lean. We're, we're kind our, of transitioning to hiring our, our first person. But our business yeah. is. Technically, it's five people essentially, which yep. is like chef's kiss. I, I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, on top of, you know, obviously the fact that you guys are buying commercial real estate and kind of how you're getting the capital to do it, can you talk about syndication in general? Because I think, and I maybe should have had you do that earlier because I think some people are going to hear the word syndication and it sounds like a big scary word. But yeah. can you just explain like what what does that mean actually? For sure. Yeah. So there's really there's the general partnership side, which is myself, and my two partners. We, do, we go out and do all the work. We're going to find the property. We're going to underwrite it. We're going to make the offer. We're going to go out and get the loan from the bank. We're going to do everything, right? Uh, we're probably going to put, you know, 20% of our own money in, in, into the deal. And then we're going to go out to limited partners, which all they do is provide the equity and, you know, sit back, get cash flow, get tax benefits, get a return. Um, in return, right, the question obviously is, okay, so why would why would you be a general partner and do all the work and the limited partner not doing anything and still getting the same benefit? Sure. The answer is we're taking equity and fees. Mm. Um, so there's several, you know, there's several different fees and this could vary quite a bit, but the reason is, you know, you're taking acquisition fees, you're getting, you know, sweat equity essentially for, yeah. for doing the deal. So it's a very lucrative way on both sides, right? If you're a general partner, it's a great way to scale quicker, right? Because you can raise the capital to go big. If you're a limited partner, you can be involved in real estate without having tenants calling you on the weekends. So, so does that work... Let's I, like just give like a mock example for that. So like let's say we're gonna use small numbers just because they're easier. 
you're buying a $100,000 commercial property, which is mm. obviously unrealistic because I don't even think that exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's just say it does. Um, and you have somebody who's putting up, um, you know, what, 20% would be $20,000. So you have somebody who's putting up half of that, 10%. Yep. And you're, you guys are fronting the other 10%, which yep. in theory would mean that you're 50% equity partners. Would you guys, tr- instead of their 10% of equity or, you know, their 50% share costing $10,000, would it cost more than that? And so basically you guys are getting paid up front in that fee or would that money be buying them less equity, meaning that like in theory that should have been 10% equity, but it's actually going to represent 8% equity because that extra 2% is going to you guys. Or is it like Correct. a split? The second way you said it. It's the second way. Okay. We get that sweat equity, right? So that, yeah. that kind of, it's not truly if they provide 10% of the capital, they own 10% of the deal. So you guys because... are taking in equity, not in cash up front. Correct. We okay. take, we have a fee up front, but we we always roll over our, our fees into equity. Okay. Um, so we, we're getting equity in multiple ways, but like we never go to a deal and then grab a check at closing. And so you guys are actually like keeping the lights on via um, the cash flows of the properties once they're you know owned and you have a renter. That's Correct. like what where the cash flow is actually coming from month over month. Correct. And obviously, like the equity is building, so you guys as as equity owners in Smart Asset are gaining wealth as that yep. equity grows but as far as like paying yourselves a living salary or whatever not salary but like you yeah. understand what i'm saying paying yourselves it's actually happening after the transaction closes through the rent through which cash flow yep. presumably is proportional to the equity owned correct right yep. so okay that, that's exactly right so but, it's like you know the cash flow grows over time right but it's not it's not like wholesaling, right? Where I can go out and wholesale property and make 50K. It's like, it's a longer process, but right. you're also taking big chunks of equity and big chunks into your net worth that, you know, over time grows into a pretty big number. Yeah. Well, and I guess like for people wondering from a limited partner perspective, like, oh, well, why would you want to give them money to buy less equity than you could have? Well, because they're doing the work, you Correct. know, it's kind of like that bringing it back to Facebook, like the social network movie, it's like the, if you would have invented Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. It's kind of like if you would have bought this commercial property on your own, you would have bought it on your own, but you didn't. And so like you guys are getting paid for putting that together, which. Well, um, there's so many, right. There's so many people that think like, you know, the only way to get involved in real estate is for me to go out, learn how it works, you know, talk to the agents, look at a hundred deals to find one, right. It's a lot of work. And certainly if people want to go that way, it's I'm all for it, right. Being an active investor is great. Yeah. There's also someone that's doing really well in their career or they own a business they're making good money. They want exposure to real estate in their portfolio, but they don't have the time to go do yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. I don't want to have to think about it. Like, yeah. it's funny. When I first got into real estate, I had this idea that I wanted to, like, buy all these properties and, and do that. And then the more involved in real estate I got, the more yeah. I was like, I don't want to do this. I would love to have exposure to real estate assets, yep. whether that be via real estate investment trust, something like you guys, whatever. But as far as, like, being the person to actually acquire and manage the fact that you now own these properties, no shot. I'd yeah. much rather make less yield and not have to think about it. For but sure. you're giving up the yield. And like for you guys, you're living off the, at that extra yield boost, which is, it's a good symbiosis. I, I agree. I yeah, agree. I think that's a good like overview um, for you guys. What what do you kind of see for the future of our market in Milwaukee? I'm assuming that most of these properties are here locally. Correct, yeah, greater Milwaukee area. I mean, I think, you look at Milwaukee, even Wisconsin as a whole, for the most part, it's not it's not Texas, it's not Florida, it's not all these high growth markets that are seeing a ton of population growth, population job growth, right? That's what drives appreciation. Mm. Um, we don't have that as much in Wisconsin, right? But what we do have in Wisconsin is good cash flow. If you go down to you know those booming markets down south, is where they, a lot of them tend to be. Is 
you know, you're most of these deals, you're not getting any cash flow. Mm. Like you're buying it on appreciation, especially right now, um, which is certainly a strategy, right? Like you don't get me wrong. You make a lot of money down there too. We're cash flow investors. Like we want to buy deals that have good cash flow. We want to get to 10% cash flow within two years. That's, that's usually okay, our, that's kind our, of the framework. Standard. Exactly. Yeah. So then that, that, that's possible in Milwaukee. It's hard to find that's other places. So it's, you know, I think there's market to market, right? Like there's there's different strategies and man, I think there's good deals in any city, any market across the country. It's more so just what's your strategy, right? Are you trying to come in and drive appreciation or banking on appreciation? Or are you trying to come in and drive cash flow? Ours is drive cash flow. Do you think that you guys will expand elsewhere? And if so, like where else do you think is realistic? One day. One day I think it'd be the goal would be to go national, right? Oh, and, cool. and once we get really big. But I think um, in the near term, I don't think it makes much sense to try to bounce around and go into these new markets. Sure. But I think, you know, eventually if you want to go into a multi-billion dollar firm, it's yeah, it's pretty hard to do in one market. Yeah, I could see that being the case. So as kind of like a, a sort of a wrap up, uh, the, the framework of opportunity cost as a show was initially basically trying to understand people who are entrepreneurs or, or leaders in some capacity. Like mm-hmm. what is the opportunity cost to have their lifestyle? Like, like what are the things that they're giving up to obtain the life? kind of that they have built for themselves. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like, I would love to hear what does that look like for you? And then, you know, why is it worth it for you? Like, like, why is this like how you wanted to set things up for yourself? I think it's grind for two to three years. Like work your ass off for two to three years. Like for me, it was when I was getting going on this, I was, you know, working a full-time corporate job. Uh, I was going to grad school and this is when I decided to start getting into real estate. So I, you know, two to three years, like I didn't really have a social life. I was just working, mm-hmm. but I knew like you put in the, you know, you put in the hours when you're young and it sets up the rest of your life. Now it's like, I have a much more, you know, lax schedule and I'm still working a lot. Right. But it's like, I've kind of created my own life now. Whereas the other side of it, right. Is like people and generally it's your younger twenties, right. If you can get going at, at that time and like really just grind and set yourself up by the time you're 40, it's like, you're living a life like of your dreams. So I think that's, you know, and you can do it at any stage in your life, right? But I think that's really what it is, is two to three years of just sacrificing and building in one specific area. And you set yourself up for the Well, I would say taking risk, too. Because, Take like, risk, yep. by doing your own thing, like, you are taking on a ton of risk by not having that security of yep. the corporate job or whatever it is. So For sure. There's a lot of risk. And I think a lot of people get scared there where it's like, oh, I got to take out a loan or I got to do this or I got to go into debt. Yeah, I mean, anything big requires risk, right? I don't think there's there's many things on this on, on earth that that you can that you can build into something big without taking some level of risk. Do you have any advice to like younger you or somebody who maybe is like in similar shoes to where you would have been when you were, you know, twenty? Learn the money game earlier. Mm-hmm. That's that's the biggest thing. Is I wish like, you know, in college I had no idea like about how money worked, like how investing worked, how everything works, how taxes work, right? Like. I think the earlier, if I could go back, right, in high school, I would have just started, like, listening to more podcasts, listening, you know, reading more books, just understanding, like, how cash flow works, how investing works, how to, you know, build wealth, how all that stuff works. Because the sooner you figure out how the money game works, then you can contour that into, like, creating your own business, right, or just investing your capital from that you're making at your job, right? Like, things like that, it just it just makes it so much easier if you understand how that framework works. Yeah, when I think, like anything, like, once you understand – what makes the wheels turn like you can figure out where you fit into that right and then like kind of create your spot which really brings us full circle to you figured out what space you wanted to work in and you brought the knowledge to somebody who had the resources which is like i like the big underlying thing that like if more people could figure out how to do that like they would be in a similar position 
but easier said than done. For sure. Yeah, come up with the idea and just go all in. I think a lot of people kind of get like pulling in all different directions, doing a million different things. And that's kind of what we were talking about, like the, you know, the crypto blockchain stuff is like, yeah. I, I believe in it. And I think there's so many things there, but it's also like, I know what I'm good at in my path. And like, I'd rather just maybe grab a piece or invest in someone else's business along the way, but focus on my main path of what I know I'm good at. Everything costs something. This is Opportunity Cost.